1: Welcome to the Rocketship Podcast, I'm Michael Saka,
2: I'm Joelle Steiniger.
3: and I'm Matt Goldman.
2: And we're having 20 minute talks with entrepreneurs teaching you how to launch your product into revenue.
3: Check out our book at howtobuildarocketship.com to reserve your launch discount and to download a free chapter. Today we talk to Chris Hexton, founder of Vera. You'll learn how they used educational content to get their first 10 customers. And you'll also learn his three favorite email marketing tips for early-stage bootstrappers. Check it out.
1: Welcome to the Rocket Ship Podcast. We're here with Chris Hexton of Vero. Uh, Chris, why don't you give us a little backstory on how you started Vero?
4: Sure. So uh, Vera is an email marketing company, uh, in particular behavioural email marketing, and we've been going for a, about eighteen months now. So sort of mid mid uh, two thousand and twelve, we really began, um, and it was founded by myself and James, um, so two of us. And yeah, it's been a it's been a really interesting eighteen months, and um, yeah, we, we've learned a lot. We've had a lot of fun, but uh, defi- definitely lots of lessons in there.
1: Yeah, I'd love to kind of to learn more about those early days, um, why you built it, and and what it looked like um, with the two of you working. Were you doing some consulting work?
4: We sort of, I think the the, the germ of the idea for Vero for us uh, came from consulting work we had done. So James and I did have a, a Rails consultancy uh, where we you know built e-commerce stores for people and other software products for people who were starting their own businesses or you know expanding their businesses, and. We always found for those projects, as is as is obvious, that those people would want email built in, email as part of the lifecycle of converting their customers, and we, you know, so we build that, we build that, whatever, and we we just use Action Mailer in Rails for those who are familiar with that, and then you know those people would sort of realise at some point that. You can't email, you can't just leave it alone. You've sort of got to work with it. And email is really a function of marketing, not a function of development. So they, they would then be like, right, Well, you know, these emails are doing pretty well, but we want to play with them. We want to edit them. We want to change when they go out, how they go out. We want to A B test these things. We can't do any of that stuff. What do you guys got? You guys are the experts. And we'd be like, Well, you could you could go and buy a product like Exact Target or Responses, Or if you're a B2B company, Marketo, maybe HubSpot. Um, but these things are all 800 bucks, you know, $2,000 a month expensive pieces of software so most of the people we worked with anyway couldn't afford that and so we sort of thought it was crazy that there's nothing out there between MailChimp or the MailChimp autoresponder which is relatively dumb to use it to use a hardware, but you know it's very very linear and nothing between that and then these big bad boys at the other end of town and we sort of thought well it seems odd when all these people have been asking for it so that's where the original idea came from but um we didn't we didn't start working on Vero whilst we were consulting. We went through an incubator in Sydney, and we actually went through the incubator working on another software idea, or we got into the incubator with this other software idea, which was a product similar to Harvest or Fresh books. And that was, I don't think that was a fatal business, but the incubator was good for two reasons. It gave us a sort of kick to stop consulting and really focus because uh, that was one of the requirements of getting into the incubator. And then also, to be cold-hearted about something we'd built, you know, the the, the harvest-like product, where you know, you've got to be sure it might might have some pain. Customers might be getting okay, but you've really got to start to look. Well, is this viable? You know, what's the what's the competition? What's the what's the market space like? Is this the product for me? Where's your passion for it? Ra ra ra. And none of those boxes really got ticked. And so uh, by the end of the, the incubator, we had had realised that wasn't for us. So we we started validating a couple of ideas, and the main one that stood out. Because we'd had problem in the actual, you know, we'd actually dealt with customers who had this problem was this idea around lifecycle or behavioral email marketing. So, um, yeah, that's, that's, that's really where it came from. And, and we started building it sort of probably May, mid-ish May. And I think the first email ever was sent in June 2012 through Vera.
1: Very cool. So where did you find some of those early customers?
4: Yes. so our very very first customer was you know a, uh, a someone in our networks so a founder of another business that we knew personally but so I don't think that's that interesting because everyone probably has one of those but then uh, you know numbers two to 10 are the more interesting story and, and how do you find strangers that you don't know to buy a product and that's obviously yeah. an exciting day So for us the, the all the way along up until now the primary acquisition channel has been content marketing and in particular, blogging's been the mainstay there. And that, that, you know, a blog post is how we got those first nine other strangers to buy our products. And, um, and, and so for us, the, the, uh, you know, we, we wanted to experiment with consulting. So I guess the backstory, to, uh, sorry, with uh, content. So the backstory to that is that we'd gone through this incubator, you know, we had a small pool of cash from that. There was only two of us We're young guys. So we, you know, we didn't have too many costs, fortunately. And, uh, we sort of thought, well, we've got some profits from the consultancy as well. Let's see if we can do this thing without raising money and uh, and just by you know being smart with the cash we've got. So that's what we set out to do. And we sort of thought, well, we don't have a ton of money to spend on PPC, you know, advertising uh, on Google for either word term email marketing or anything similar is ridiculous. So what can we do? And content seemed like the obvious thing. So we uh, we wrote a blog post that directly led to those first nine signups which was uh, which we, we posted on Hacker News and Reddit but in particular Hacker News drove a lot of traffic and that blog post was um, the title of it was making email marketing better building the mix panel for email and and so that that post I think drove about three or four hundred I can't remember the exact number but you know a lot for us at the time uh, trial signups in you overnight or in a period of sort of 48 hours and we were still obviously in beta we didn't really have a product at that point but through through that cohort of people, we were able to uh, start start talking meaningfully to some strangers about what they would want to use, what they what they would pay for, and uh, and some of those people fortunately ended up paying. So that was that was really the you know, a, a great sign of validation for us.
1: And that was a pretty strategic title
4: that you picked. Um, why why did you use mixed panel? Yeah, so I think. For uh, the the trick with content, yeah, I guess I've learned a lot of this now, but our hypothesis at the time was obviously, well, we need to get this in front of people who care or, will, or we think will care about the product. So for us, we were fortunate in that, that that place was hacking news and that was something we were interested in anyway, which probably comes back to having a, a passion or an interest in the, the the product you're building or the space you're building for. So we thought, right, well, let's give Hacker News a go. That there's going to be online marketers there. There's going to be people who run businesses there. Um, there's you know, a, an interesting community there that care about new stuff. It's rock and roll. So, but rather than posting uh, a title like Check Out Our New Product, which everyone does, we thought, well, maybe maybe we can post something a little more interesting that will get people to click through. So the, I guess the thing about the, the title we chose, and it was, some of this was subconscious for sure, but the reason it worked was because, I think Mixpanel is a popular company. It's a Y Combinator company, and obviously Hacker News is Y you know, Y Combinator-affiliated. So a lot of people on there love Mixpanel. It's, an, it's a great company. They've done really, really well. got a great product, etc. So saying, saying you're going to be the Mixpanel for email is probably quite an arrogant thing to say. Well, there's an element of yeah, who, who are these random guys and why? who are they bold enough to say that they're going to do what Mixpanel did for analytics for email. So I think that's why a lot of people would have clicked through. It resonated very specifically with that audience Uh, It was a sort of title where it was a little bit controversial, so people were going to click. So that's why we went with that title. But I think the the, the secret to actually getting the post to work was then, you know, it's all well and good to get on the front page of Hacker News, but you won't be there very long if what you've written is crap. So actually writing a good, a quality post with some really meaningful thoughts in there is what got people signing up for the, the beta or the trial.
0: At business.att.com that's business.att.com
2: so we've been talking to a lot of people about content marketing and it does tend to come back to blogging um, but what I found really interesting with you guys given that you're an email app is how you've used email um, and specifically the email courses that you're doing um, and I'm curious to know how you started doing those um, and what the conversion has been like um, compared to doing something like blogging and, and how that's been working out for you.
4: Yeah. So the, I think the way we thought about the first course was we've got a blog. It's going pretty well. We've got people signing up to the blog. We just send those people, and, and we play a lot more with this now, but at the time we just sent them a single email a week saying, here's what we've written this week, you know, email marketing tip of the week. Here's the cool article. Uh, we had a lot of people saying, you guys are doing really good writing here. This stuff's really helpful. I love getting your emails. So that, that was all really, really positive. But we weren't really doing very much to get those people uh, signed up to the product. We weren't ex- explicitly making many asks, you know, hey, try out our trial. Hey, here's an here's a offer or whatever. So we thought, well, how can we bridge this gap uh, as well as creating a new resource that we can funnel People into that may never have heard of Vera at all before. So it was sort of like, well, how can we get people who have come into that blog, that blog list over here, into the free trial of Vera? And that and that was that was one of the driving factors. Um, so we created this this new course. The first one was about a year ago, I think, at the end of two thousand and twelve, start of twenty thirteen, and the course was yeah designed to sort of have a best of seven reasonably short emails with really good practical tips based on all the stuff we'd written about over the, the previous six to nine months, and so we pulled that together and uh, and and started you know advertising it on our blog. We also got um, you know, some people to retweet it and mention it in some guest posts in the, as a call to action. Those sort of things. And started feeding people into it. And uh, yeah, it was, it's it's so we're running another course now. And I think it's, you know we're trying to weave it into the fabric, so it's a long term thing. But it's been really good for us. The, the first course, which is obviously the base for the one we're doing now anyway, uh, you know, definitely saw you, – you can see, you know, the, the opens and clicks increasing as you go go through the email series as people get further and further down. And, you know, as a, as a whole, the course, I think the conversion rate was about 12.5, so sort of nearly 13% of people were then signing up for a free trial you know, after you – know, somewhere in this email, course, generally towards the end, you know, emails 567 um, – and that for us was really awesome because it was a lot easier to get people into this course, uh, you know, even if it was coming from a guest post or something, because it's quite, it quite a good ask. It's like, hey, we'll teach you stuff for free if you give us your email. And that's the whole premise of these things. So people would put their email down for that, and then 13% of people were actually becoming trial customers, which was great. So it was a, it was a new, you know, an awesome new way for us to get some, um, some trial customers on board. And then on top of that, those customers were further along in the buying cycle, right, because they'd, they'd been educated about what, what the hell our product did. So that was uh, that was uh, it's been really useful for us,
2: Chris. Uh, you mentioned earlier that it has taken um, about eighteen months, uh, or or Vero launched about eighteen months ago. And something that we've been hearing a lot from our listeners and our audience is that um, people are struggling to kind of grasp, you know, what length of time does it take between launching a product and really hitting a success point, or at least a break even point. Um, can you talk about your experience with that and kind of how long it took you to hit break even?
4: Yeah, for sure. So I think um, I uh, I actually don't know the exact date that we became break even, but I would hazard a guess as it. And I know that's sort of crazy. Like, why don't you know? But um, I so it was just two of us just for a long time, at least for the first twelve months So James and I. Uh, you know, we we occasionally outsourced a few things here and there. i um, probably a bit less. Twelve months. Sorry, so it's probably about two of us for ten months or something like that. So for us, you know, we didn't need a ton of money to become break even. So I, I think it probably took us about ten to twelve months to sort of hit base base break even. But what what we found bootstrapping is that there's always sacrifice. And, and so for us, it's been you know we got to that point. We're like, okay, great. Well, we're break even. We could pay ourselves. But then you sort of think, well, do we want to do that and take this cash out of the business, or should we you know continue to live? frugally and reinvest some more money by you know hiring someone or maybe we could get better architecture or speed up the product or invest this in this form of marketing so i think one of the challenges the way i look at it is you know if, you, if you're bootstrapping businesses you're building this asset and everything's completely under your control when you're in, uh, in charge of your own your own destiny so do you want to you know take more money off your salary and and perhaps have a nicer lifestyle awesome you know do that once you hit that break even point or do you want to uh you want to reinvest that um, and, and continue to grow, and so that's that's generally what we've been doing because we think there's a real opportunity in this market marketplace. Um, and so we've uh, you know we got to that point of break even, then we went a little further, and then we hired someone, and then we break even again. So then we hire someone again, and so on, and so on. Um, but it's you know, something that James and I've um, always been always been happy to do. Uh, so yeah, so that, that's been our journey. And I do think I do think you're right in that. I think it takes <laughs> the media only covers. Out, what I would say are outliers uh, and everyone should aim to be an outlier or at least I try, I try to. Um, but I think that also when you read about the success of a startup or when you talk to a founder, I think the human brain forgets, forgets the bad things. I think that's, that's true of anything in life. You don't look, you don't look, most people don't look back on their lives and go, well, that was terrible, that was terrible, that was terrible. And so when you ask someone about their experience and hey, you know, how were those early years? I think they gloss over a lot of the shit that they went through and a lot of the, how long it really took. You know when they really had this initial idea, and uh, you know we're still young enough, hopefully, to uh, tell it exactly as it was. But I think as you get further, you know, in ten years, be interested to hear what I say, right? And I think, um, so I think, yeah, I think it takes a lot longer than, than, than public perception, than public perception uh, makes clear. But at the same time, you know, ten months isn't really that long, or twelve months isn't that long, even a year and a half isn't that long. If you think about it, if you're if you if you do manage to build an asset that uh, that grows, and you've got a great company that you love working on, it's not that big a sacrifice in many ways. At least I think.
2: That's true. I think it's really a matter of perspective. Um, And you do, you know, tend to get discouraged when you uh, flip open your computer and you see some new product out of nowhere who's hit it big and um, you really forget about the, um, I would say the average startup who puts all the work in and it does take some time and it's a slow road. And it's really nice to hear from people like you who are open about, you know, the hard work it really took and the time it took. To get there,
4: yeah, I think too. I think uh, a lot of those stories of people hitting it big are usually X and X raised a lot of money, um, and obviously you can't raise money with nothing. Well, usually you should have some form of traction or, or something. But I think, uh, yeah, I think that definitely forms a skewed view. And I think you've also got to be honest with what you want. Um, you know, let's use the example of Snapchat. I personally would find it uh, hard to to run Snapchat, I mean sure now maybe if someone was going to pay me $3 billion but you know, initially I, I would find it hard to get up every day and work on a product that I, I, I could not see having a, how I was going to make money and that would be challenging for me personally and maybe that's just where the stage I'm at in my entrepreneurial journey or something like that but you're know, much more comfortable working on a B2B product and maybe it'll take a little longer but I'd like to think we can build a, an amazingly large company anyway so I, you know, I think the big part of it is just personal and what you're comfortable with um, so uh, that at least I think you've got to bear that in mind too when you read these stories. The grass is always greener. you know.
1: Talk to us about the process that you worked through to get there um, to where you're just using the number of emails sent um, and if you ever tried anything else.
4: Yeah, so the initial, the, the whole research behind our pricing back in day one was as simple as we don't want to charge less than $50 a month for our, whatever we're going to build here. So we said we'll charge $50 a month. And, and then we thought, if people don't want to pay $50 a month, why not? We've got to make this product good enough that they will. So that's how we began in terms of where to start our pricing. And then obviously, you, know, you have bigger tiers than that. And for us, we sort of thought, well, what are the main drivers of costs on our side? They should be the drivers of, uh, of what we're charging. And so the, the two big things for us are we obviously collect our customers' customers data. So there's a, a cost of holding that data and, and you know manipulating it, segmenting it, whatever. And then there's a the cost of sending emails. So we talked to customers about those, and basically the answer you know, we got back was, well, it, it makes much more sense for us to charge for you to charge via the email. Uh, and everyone seemed to think that would be a very fair way to charge because they can start off simple. Yeah, as they collect more data, they send more emails, they make more money, they get more value, so they're happy to pay more as their volume increases. So we sort of um we reviewed that a year later, so sort of September 2013. And we toyed with changing the model to being around subscribers, uh, but based on customer feedback, um, it, you know, and after doing analysis of what would be more profitable and whatnot, it seemed that the volume base was still the way to go. So we've uh, we've carried on with that. So we, we were definitely a lot more scientific when we did the review last year. But um, but it's uh, yeah. To start off with, it was just what are the cost drivers? Uh, what's the minimum we want to charge? And then. Sense check that with customers, as with everything you do. You know, a customer's happy with that; doesn't make sense. And if the is yep, then uh, where you go.
1: So continuing with kind of the the early stage um, optimizations, what kind of tips do you have for people who want to write an email campaign and are building, are just starting to build their list?
4: Yeah. So I guess uh, three three main things for uh, people who are, you know, building it, they're starting a company online and, uh, and and really wanting to use email or, or wondering well, how the hell to use email at all. I guess the three things that people would ask me the most that are in that situation. Um, so the first one would be, or, yeah, I mean, people often ask, how often should I send or when should I send? Is it okay to send? So, so the point there is that it's, Early on, it's, it's sort of uh, nerve wracking, or even you know you're a bit afraid to hit send to to this list that you've started building. So that's definitely the most common thing I see, and I think it makes sense. It's human nature. Uh, I was the same. Most people I talked to were the same. You know, you, you're starting to build this company. You're really really passionate about it. You believe in it. You've got these. You've finally got these people to put down their emails for some sort of blog list or a beta beta form or whatnot, and you'd hate to send these people the wrong thing in case you annoy them. In case they hate you, in case they leave, in case they don't become paying customers, there's always that fear that you'll screw it up. Um, but I you know I think my advice is always you've got to start somewhere. And even more than that, the source of people that are subscribing, you know, early on in your company's life are, are passionate people. You know, they've put their email down for something that doesn't exist yet. That you know it's just a couple of blokes with a landing page on an internet on the internet. And so I think you've you've got to you've got to trust that these people are going to be interested in what you have to say. That they're going to be supportive. You know, these are going to be the guys that help you grow your business from nothing. They're going to be those first ten paying customers. So you've really just got to uh, start talking to them, you know, talking to them as, as regularly as you can, and and being helpful and honest. So that would that would be number one, which which I guess leads nicely into number two, which would be you know people ask, well, okay, so I got to learn to hit send, and I'm I'm no longer afraid. What do I actually write? Um, and so, so that's, that's, what, that's, that's where this comes in You know, be honest, be yourself and I always say talk to these early subscribers as though they were your friends so you know, tell them about the journey you're going through what advancements you've made this week what awesome new idea or new feature you've finally pulled together in the beta if you've got questions or you need validation or you're not sure about something ask, ask them that you know, you'd send an email to a friend or a mentor and say hey, here's nothing thinking are doing what do you reckon's best, A, B, C ask, ask these people that all that stuff is 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 trust building. It's you know it's honest. It's not uh, in your face. It's not a pain. It's not salesy. Most people are really happy to receive that stuff, and in particular the sorts of the sorts of customers who have, have shown interest in the, in this you know this concept that you're uh, you're willing to build out. So um, you know if you if you take that approach, I don't think you can really go wrong. And part of that is you know email from the founder or f- from someone who's an individual at the company. You know don't email with a big fancy template from you know, sales at blah blah blah. There's a right time, I think, in your business's life to look bigger than you perhaps are if you're trying to land some bigger deals or something. But early on, you know, you, there's no don't don't lie. I mean, you use that use that smallness to build credibility, to build trust, and you know, uh, in in a way, become become friends with these early customers of yours, and uh, and I think they'll they'll pay it back to you. you give a good example of that. That's definitely one of our largest earlier customers I mean yeah we we still got we're really lucky and we've still got so many of those customers that signed up 18 months ago and and many of them now become uh yeah friends you know and in particular there's one uh, one who I think of who has has yet become a great mentor in a way their business is a lot further along than ours uh, they get value out of our product and they've just been uh So, you know, so much insightful advice they've they've given to me. So, I mean, that's a a great example. That just came from talking to this guy honestly about our journey and sharing what we're doing, and um, it's been awesome. So I I can definitely attest to that. Um, And number three. Number three, I guess, is just uh, around around building your list uh, early on. Um, And, again, I think in, in this case, don't be afraid to ask. And this doesn't just go for building a list. It goes for getting paying customers. But don't be afraid to ask people to put down their email don't be afraid to ask people to pay money um you know i think i think this is i put, I put this as number three because i think this has become quite standard thanks to launch rock and other you know unbounce and other platforms that make it easy to collect lists lists of people early on but um don't be afraid to try pop-ups or you know y- you're trying to get these people's attention you're trying to get their email you're not planning on spamming them so don't feel bad about it you're going to be providing them with useful interesting stuff and they've come to your site for a reason um, so don't don't be afraid to do that. And and a good example from my own experience is when I started guest posting for other blogs and trying to trying to grow our blog subscriber list. You know, the I always found it sort of you know you, you're doing guest posting one to share your ideas with a larger audience and then two to get that audience interested in you to to make them your audience in a way. And and that's you know that's the power of guest posting. But I always found it weird that. It would be okay with with the with the site I was guest posting on to, to have a call to action of some sort, you know, to to ask people to hey visit the Vero blog and put down your email. And I I always found that really weird. I always felt odd asking for that. Um, and that's something I you know I had to get over anyway because it's 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 the whole the whole reason you're doing it in the first place. So you know, not being afraid to ask people's emails uh, so you can actually grow that list quicker as quickly as you can is uh, is probably good advice as well.
1: Um, I really appreciate you. Coming on here, Chris, and kind of sharing us, uh, sharing your story with us. It's extremely helpful to hear um, that in eighteen months you've been able to grow. Um, and yet there is still, you know, there's still been struggles along the way. So
3: I want to say thank you because we we've been going for for about nine months with Hookfeed and Minimalytics, and the way that you put it really put things in perspective that to build an asset that or to basically build a company that you love working at, um, over 12 months really isn't a long time compared to any other business you'd be building. But the way that we've been doing it, we've been you know going through savings this whole time and basically taking a big leap of faith after leaving our jobs um, to build these products. So it's really cool to think of it that way as you go on and things aren't growing as fast as you would have hoped. Um, as you realize that no SaaS company really takes off despite what people say, um, it's really helpful to think of it that way, so... Thanks for sharing that.
4: Yeah, I think, uh, you know, look, obviously, as you said, I mean, it is a leap of faith and it is risky, um, but that's uh, that's obviously all in our personalities to take that risk. But I think that, yeah, in, in many ways, you know, if you were saving for a deposit on a house, that would take a lot of time, right? And, and so instead of doing that, you're you're putting that capital in a way into something else that you believe is going to, uh, going to work out. So you've obviously got to be sensible and level-headed, make sure you're working on something that will work out. But if... If you've got that uh, ticked, then yeah, it's it's going to take a long time. Just it sort would of take a long time to do anything, and um, yeah, I think I think more and more people, fortunately, more and more SaaS companies are sharing their, their numbers and the, and the real stories. So it's uh, it's really cool to to see that happen.
2: For anyone out there who is starting to dabble in email marketing and wants an absolutely amazing resource, um, visit the Vero blog. It's blog.getvero.com. Um, it's filled with just incredibly educational posts and and charts and graphs and everything so um, check that out
4: yes please
1: do thank you <laughs> Trying to find a pretty drone to take home tonight timberland rug Rugby on my back
3: I'm outside John Barrow and I'm parking an act I'm waiting for Jay, Jay got the A And when I see Jay, all my problems go away Now I'm drinking with my cousins, bars we bum-rushing Drinking white Russians with Russians and flushing We could tussle if they look at my cousin's girl